0: Every one of those stages that you go through of development are grief stages because we're now in this point and he's not caught up yet, or we're now in this point and now this is hard. I did as a parent anyway, thinking I'm on this timer. And I first, it was like in elementary and I've got to have him ready for middle school. He'll be caught up by middle school. And then it was high school. And now he's 30.
1: Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? October is ADHD Awareness Month, and so I want to make you aware of three virtual ADHD summits that are happening this month. The first is the 11th Annual ADHD Awareness Expo. It runs throughout the month of October, with new presentations unlocking on October 5th, 8th, 12th, and 14th, but they'll remain available until the 31st. My workshop, which is already available, is on using values to help with decision making and prioritization. The second summit is the Natural ADHD Solutions Summit. It takes place October 5th, October 9th, October 12th, and October 16th. I will be presenting live on the 9th. And last, but certainly not least the one I suspect you might be most interested in, the Parenting ADHD Summit. It takes place Monday, October 19th, all the way through to Thursday, October 22nd. And on the 22nd, I will be presenting Navigating Virtual School with Learning Challenges. The links for each of those summits will be in the show notes, so make sure you check them out. And of course, also check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, His most recent episode, titled Transitions and Balancing Work and Relationships, where he interviews Addison Smith, is great. And Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb is also phenomenal. His most recent episode is on how to give yourself some slack, which I know I need to do on occasion, and I found that episode very useful. And of course, a big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies for helping me to get this episode edited and published. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Diane McLean. After a 25-year career as an educator and school counselor, Diane is now an ADHD and executive functioning coach. And she has committed herself to providing coaching services to help children, adolescents, and adults overcome executive functioning challenges and acquire the skills and knowledge needed to experience success. In today's episode, Diane talks about being the mother of an adult son with special needs. And how she navigated the challenges that presented. We discussed the power of networking and building a community, the importance of doing the legwork, some of the hard decisions she's had to make, and what she's learned from her son. All right, let's get rolling.
0: I'm Diane McLean, and I am from Texas originally. I'm a native Texan and I'm very proud of that currently live in Overland Park, Kansas, and through a long kind of series of stepping stones, I've ended up working as a coach, and I, I really specialize in working with children um, of all ages on executive functioning skills, and, you know, there were a lot of little things that led me there. I spent 26 years in education and worked with kids, two-year-olds all the way through high school seniors. I was a teacher, I was a school counselor, and, and I'm a parent um, of a special needs uh, son. I have two kids actually, and uh, my daughter Katie is a sports psychologist, so she's a mental performance coach, and we have great conversations around that. And then my son is an a artist, but he, at age six, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and at 16, he was diagnosed with autism. So I've spent a good deal of my life working to get him what he needs and balancing all that out with, you know, everything else I have to do with work and family and everything else. And here I am.
1: (laughs) Before we started recording, you started telling me about how you like to consider yourself as having some honorary degrees. Yes. And not honorary like they've been officially bestowed upon you by a university or something, but honorary because you've had to learn a whole lot of things to help your son navigate his life.
0: Yes, absolutely. No, I have no, no diplomas on the wall for these things for sure. But, um, you know, even when he was really little, I've, I've just had to always be on top of stuff because I was the person who knew him the best and trying to find services was, you know, really hard. And that's, I think where it started. He's always had some very, um, different interests And because of his autism, he's been very focused on those things. So trying to help him, you know, feel like those things and following his passion is a good thing have led me down some trails as well to, you know, helping him. He's very creative, and so helping him create things and express himself has led me down a lot of paths as well, not to mention all the education and medical and, you know, all those other things that I've had to learn.
1: What are some of the things that you've had to learn and how did you go about learning them? Because I'm sure there are parents in the audience who have had to learn stuff, who are staring down the barrel of having to learn stuff and trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Can you help guide us a little bit on the strategies you've used, the the services you've been able to find so we can spread the love a little?
0: Well, Daniel is going to be 30 next week. And so when he was little, there was no internet. You know, we did not have what we have now. So I think I had to learn in different ways. You know, in the beginning, there was a lot of just calling around and asking and talking to other parents. By the time he was in early elementary school, we did have internet and I was on a listserv for parents with kids who had bipolar disorder. Daniel was diagnosed at six with bipolar disorder. He had not been diagnosed with autism at the time. And so I was, I got a lot of help finding resources through that listserv, as they called them back in those days, you know, to medical professionals, uh, you know, when we moved, he was in to Kansas City, Daniel was going into the fifth grade, and I was in a panic because I needed a a new psychiatrist for him. And I, I was able to find one before we moved through that group of parents, so I had a you know, a lot of support there. When he was really little, it was just, it was kind of taking what people said, good intentioned people, a lot of family who would recommend different things. And I would kind of have to weigh it, you know, friends and family would say, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And some of the things I knew just wouldn't fit for him. And then some of the things I ended up pursuing and and really finding help for him. And those, those really, you know, were even things I ended up, he needed play therapy at one point. I decided to try that when he was three and I ended up going to grad school and really getting a master's degree in counseling and specializing in play therapy. And that was because of him.
1: So that's a real degree. That's not even an honorary degree.
0: That's a real degree. Yes. I have a master's degree in counseling and student services. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) as I'm listening to what you're saying, you sort of discounted this experience a little bit in light of the internet because the internet now exists and it's easier to get information. And and what I mean is you sort of discounted your experience of having to do a lot of legwork to find the resources that you needed because you were doing that before the internet came about and you were sort of like, well, now it's easy because of the internet. It's different now. And I want to circle back on that and push back on it a little bit because that legwork that you had to do, is more valuable and more powerful than the nonsense that is the internet
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah in some ways we now have information overload and so when the internet did come into play in helping me it almost created more problems
1: another element to this is and and we've talked about this in the past in some groups that we're in together there's a limit to the usefulness of learning from an information source, right, from the internet. I can sit back and read stuff about ADHD all day long. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing anything that's a value add to my life unless I start applying that knowledge and I start doing the work, like doing the legwork. And the internet, because the information is so easy to get, it's easy to just read it and then do nothing with it and feel like I did something even though I really haven't when you were doing this, the simple nature of driving to a doctor's office, making a phone call and talking to a person, all of that stuff is doing something because in addition to getting the information, you're also networking. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you mentioned in the course of this was that your network helped you find a doctor before you moved. Right. Networking is critical. So, yes, like all of the people in the audience right now who are listening to this podcast, if all you do is listen to this podcast and you're not a part of like my Facebook group or something, you're limiting how valuable my services are to you. You don't even have to pay me to be a part of the Facebook group, but you become part of a group of people who can theoretically help each other and often do help each other. The podcast is a one way message. It, all you can do is listen to me. You join the Facebook group, you get a little more information. You join the Coaching groups, it gets another level to still. For sure. That stuff is what's powerful. That's what's useful. You and I met through a coaching group. Yeah. That we're in. It's not me running it. It's Alan Brown is running it. And it's about business stuff. And that's how you and I met. And that that networking component is important. So if we can talk a little bit about how you did that, and yeah, some of it's going to be a little different with the internet the way it is now and social media and stuff. But but I'd love for the audience to be able to. Listen to your story, at least this part of it, with that in mind, with the networking and the interpersonal relationship stuff in mind.
0: You know, too cliche, but it takes a village. It really does. I, without the people supporting me and giving me ideas and pushing me to keep going or encouraging me to keep going, even when I was tired or feeling like I um, I was out of options. That's what really created the success is the community that I was in. So I can never, ever take credit for the things that have happened. I had a part in it, but so did a whole lot of other people. And I think that has been the single most important thing is just reaching out to people and reaching out for support and reaching out for help. Um, because it is not, I you know, like... The honorary degrees, I kind of came up with that because my dolls didn't do this. I was totally inadequately prepared to learn the stuff. I didn't learn the stuff I needed to be his mom. So the people of of my world are so important um, and still are, even with Internet. And it's putting then the legwork in, like you said, sometimes you feel like you just don't even have the strength to do it some days when times are really hard and things are hard now. So I know it's, it's tricky, but doing it and taking that and finding people, even if they don't have information, even if they can just be your support system, that is critical. I think, you know, it it started out with friends and family and, you know, I clearly remember at Daniel's fourth birth, no third birthday, my friends, good friends, saying, you know, have you thought about, you know, getting some, some kind of information on maybe what's going on with Daniel? Because he was three years old. I thought, is this normal? Is this the terrible twos just extended? I had to really listen to my friends when I didn't want to hear that. That was hard for me to hear. And that's been a pattern throughout my parenting with him. I'll never forget his middle school teacher, I don't know if it was seventh grade or somewhere in there, she said something about how we really need to help Daniel prepare for life because it doesn't seem like college will ever be a good fit for him. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And I had to really though listen to that. And that was hard for me to hear too. And I'm not saying it's 100% true and I don't ever want to discourage anyone from trying. Daniel has gotten some education in ways that work for him. But in my mind, and I think this is so hard for parents, every one of those stages that you go through of development are grief stages. And because we're now in this point and he's not caught up yet, or we're now in this point and now this is hard. I did as a parent anyway, thinking I'm on this timer. You know, and at first, it was like in elementary and I've got to have him ready for middle school. He, he'll be caught up by middle school. And then it was high school. And now he's 30. And I had to give up on that. But I also had to allow myself to grieve each stage of the way and and then do something and then ask myself, now what? And that's where the support people really came into play is really being there for me when I was at my lowest moments, but also helping me say, okay, now what? You have this in you, now what? And then I would get up and move on. Without the support of a community, I couldn't have done that for sure.
1: Prior to this interview, you talked to me about being on like a committee for your school district when he was in high school that was working on developing groups and programs for kids with special needs. And you were on that committee to try to help your son because you were like, we need to have some stuff happening. But as a result of being on that committee, you found out about a program at the school district level that he could be a part of that you might not otherwise have heard about. And that's still networking. That It's much more proactive than just going and calling a doctor's office. Like You're not just finding the resources. You're in some ways helping to create the resources. That's doing the legwork. That's making that effort.
0: And that experience was really interesting because at the time I was a school counselor in the, in the district, and I was asked to be on that committee because I had a lot of knowledge about student services. So I, I, was, I was asked to be on that committee as a staff person, which kind of gave me information and put me in touch. So even saying yes in the, in the places where you don't know it's related to your child, I think was really helpful for me. I've done that multiple times where I said yes to something in my work life, which ended up, uh, you know, I said yes to a course they offered in our district for, they did a semester course on autism. I mean, at the time it was Asperger's and then another semester course on autism. And that's how my son ended up getting diagnosed at age 16, because my friend that I was sitting with, I kept saying, oh my gosh, this is Daniel. Oh my gosh, this is Daniel. And she kept saying, would you just take him to a doctor? Because they didn't see his autism. You know, his psychiatrist is awesome. I love him. But he isn't an autism specialist. And he sees him for 15 minutes, like every three to six months. He doesn't see the pieces that really helped me go, this is way more than bipolar disorder. And then go from there. So that was another thing I did as part of my job that it created a network. The people that taught that class are still very good friends of mine and are are still part of my team, part of my pit crew. You know, I kind of think of myself as I'm driving this race car and I've got a pit crew helping me. I have to be the one driving the car. And the, <laughs> the funny thing is, is there's no finish line. <laughs> That's the thing I had to learn. The support is in, so important and the legwork. You got to get out in there in in the car and you got to push the accelerator and you got to go.
1: This is one of the things that I don't think my audience knows drives me crazy that I rail against this, but it, it drives me crazy how many people, I usually see it with entrepreneurs and not parents as much. Because if a parent is contacting me, they're a parent who is doing the legwork, they're contacting me. That's part of the legwork. But with entrepreneurs who I encounter in passing, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to like build my business and I'm cool. What are you doing to build your business? And they say, I'm taking this class. I'm like, but what is, how is that building your business? Like, that's just taking a class. What are you, what are you doing with that information? And that's kind of how I look at this podcast, right? Is like, you're getting information and that's great, but I really hope that you're applying some of it. And I hope that you're, when you're comfortable, you're taking the next step to join my Facebook group or someone else's Facebook group or my program or someone else's program based on time and money and all that kind of stuff. I recognize those limiting factors. But if what you're doing is you're sort of going on the internet and reading articles and being like, well, now I know what to do, and you're not putting a plan in place on how to do that, or you're not actively trying to implement something, you're not going to find as much change as you would if you say, this article is really meaningful, I'm going to take this concept and as an experiment, apply it for a month and see what happens. And I I love experiments in that way. I love the idea of like, I just learned this thing. I'm going to try it for a month and see what happens. And it sounds like the legwork and the effort that you were putting in with your son, something similar, but probably not the experiment thing, but something similar where you are learning stuff, you're applying it with your son, you're helping it reframe your perspective on your son. Like that workshop did that training did. And then that allows you to take the next step. And even Even the morning of your son's development and that he's lagging behind in each significant stage of development, you're recognizing, I need to take time for me and go through the emotional turmoil and storm of my son is not keeping up with his peers and do that so that I can then in a week or a month or however long, I can then reassess where we are in an honest way and find out what the new skills are that my son needs to learn more directly than previously, or what resources I have to track down as his mom in order to get him the help that he needs, that stuff is critical.
0: Yes, and I love how you equate it as an experiment. I think I talked to so many parents, and I think with both of us coming from a coaching perspective, you pretty much described A lot of what coaching is all about is you you look at your situation, you look at where the needs are, and then you go try something. I mean, coaching is very much action-oriented in little baby steps. And I always tell my clients, you're going to go try. This is an experiment. You can't fail. We can see what works, what doesn't work. We can see where we need to tweak the plan. But I think I did a lot of experimenting with Daniel because he was not a kid that fit the mold you know, there was nothing for him and it had to all be created. It's like in schools that it had to be created as we went along. And so we were trying all kinds of things, but I just, without trying it, you don't know if it's going to work. I've had to try some incredibly scary things. Um, Daniel recently suffered a decline and he regressed. It, it, it was about a, he had had major hip surgery twice on, um, each hip. And then after that, he, uh, there was uh, several other traumas and I'm seeing this, you know, with kids now the anxiety going up, but he ended up with autism related catatonia, which is a really frightening thing. And we had to do a lot of things to try to help him. And one of the things that pretty much saved his life was ECT, um, electroconvulsive therapy. Never when I was a kid with my, you know, baby tender love or my drowsy doll did I think, I think I'll go, you know, run some electricity through my baby's head. But I'm telling you what, what I had to learn a lot about that. I had to learn and learn and learn to make that decision. It turned out it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And he is now functioning higher than he ever has.
1: And that's a scary thing.
0: It's so scary.
1: Even the reliability and and the efficacy of that stuff is sketchy at best.
0: Yes. I had to really dig into research. And this is where my network helped me. I didn't know. No one knew that he was declining because of catatonia this autism related catatonia. And it was because of a Facebook group that I started when I was really struggling and needed support. And I also wanted to be transparent so people could understand what it's really like in the lives of parents who are going through this. So I was like super transparent about things. And when he was, he had been hospitalized and they couldn't help him. One of my friends who I had networked with back in school days knew somebody who was an expert in catatonia. And she put me in touch with her because her friend read the post and said, I need to talk to that mom. And that's how we found out. So that's how important your network is. You don't have all the answers, you never will. And sometimes the doctors don't have the answers and you just never know who might have some other things you can try. And this ended up saving his life. So it was so important that if I hadn't had that network, I don't know what I would have done. We would have still been going in circles and I don't even know what kind of state he would be in right now. So it's huge. It was a risk. <laughs> it was a risk. I debated forever and worked with my own coach. You know, do I create this Facebook page or do I not? Because, you know, I wanted, Daniel has always given me permission to talk about things that we've done to help him because he wants to help other people. But, you know, it's hard to put yourself out there there and just say, okay, I'm going to be transparent. And there's now a hole in my door because my son was beating on it. <laughs> and I didn't know what else to do because we had to go in there, you know, to, because he was in a meltdown and was out of control. I mean, that's not stuff you like putting out there. But to be vulnerable and to be, I was very discretionary uh, with who I led into my group. But because of that, It takes that vulnerability to reach out sometimes. And those of us who parent kids with special needs or who are just uniquely wired, we all get to that point at some time where things, we aren't the perfect parent. We aren't the model parent here. (laughs) Or our kid is not the one, you know, that you see on the commercials and TVs on TV, and we have to be honest about that and reach out for support. And that's when we have to lean on our, our network the most. And that's, that itself is scary.
1: And it sounds like you've got honorary degrees in being vulnerable. Also, probably an honorary degree in vetting the people that you let into that circle. Because you're, you're being vulnerable with people who you can trust and are respecting that vulnerability and not taking advantage of it or shaming you about it or anything like that.
0: Absolutely. That was number one. You know, it started out mainly with family because people were kept asking, how's Daniel? How's Daniel? Because he had been deteriorating and deteriorating and, you know, real close friends. Um, we have, we have a lot of people in town that are very close to Daniel that he doesn't even know because it's, he's one of those people. When you meet him, he changes lives but he doesn't know that and so I let those people in and they were the ones who were there for me and I mean it was it was amazing Uh, we ended up having to take him to a hospital in a different state north of where we live and make daily drives back and forth there to see him so our network actually one of my friends on the network said hey The McLeans are having to drive an hour and a half each direction. Can any, if anybody wants to send gas cards, send them and we'll get them to them. And, you know, they brought food over. Nobody brings food over when you're in situations like that. There's no caring bridge, you know, where you would put things like that. And these people became my lifeline and brought food over and gave us gas cards and, you know, have donated to support Daniel in, in a trip he was supposed to take and didn't get to, to New York with um, some art students. You know, these people care about my kid and they care about me and I couldn't do what I do without knowing that's out there anytime I need it.
1: Is that network part of how you're learning things? Because you mentioned, Daniel was supposed to go to New York for art school. I'm assuming that COVID is what shut that down. Yes. And you mentioned that he's he's an artist. And some of the other things you've had to learn, we talked about prior to the interview, is things like getting sheet metal cut to specific lengths. Yes. (laughs) And you mentioned you're learning how to weld, because I'm assuming that's connected to Daniel somehow.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm the proud owner of an anvil, because he does blacksmithing. (laughs) My neighbor gave him a, a propane forge. I mean, he's our, our fam, our neighbors are part of our network. I mean, yeah, but I, I have to learn how to now set it all up and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting life I have. I have some interesting honorary degrees out there and it started when he was real little. Cause he always had such bizarre interests. So yeah, I, I've done a lot of work in metalsmithing and, sculpture and welding and woodworking he does a lot of wood sculpture as well so my garage is my car doesn't fit anymore (laughs) because that site is now turned into a shop for him you know where do you buy and what are these tools even you know I didn't even know what they were it's been interesting (laughs) (laughs) and fun honestly I mean he. it's never boring with Daniel for sure my degrees aren't all like hard stuff like special education law. That was not a fun degree. But you know, you know, I'm kind of liking welding and blacksmithing. He's actually been blacksmithing since he was about seven years old. His godfather taught him how to blacksmith and all the times he would get to do it were when we would go to California to visit them. And so now he's really excited because this summer he's gonna have his own blacksmithing set up right at our house.
1: That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I know about hammers and I know about um tongs and I know about All kinds of stuff (laughs) for blacksmithing.
1: It almost sounds like Daniel is giving you a degree in some of this stuff. Like he's teaching you, not just your learning from other sources to help him, but he's helping you learn some things too.
0: Sure. He taught me to use the scroll saw a couple of weeks ago during COVID. So that was kind of fun. I like making stuff. I'm interested in that kind of thing. I wish I had more time, but yeah, he teaches me. He's working on some barn doors for me right now that I can, because I'm creating a home office at my house. Now that COVID has hit, I've, I've moved my business home and we're closing off the living room and he's actually out there, knows all these different paint techniques and what grit of sandpaper I need. And he's, he's really helping me a lot actually and teaching me for sure.
1: What else have you learned from him?
0: Oh man. You know what? I've learned so many things from him. I tell him he's my hero because he has taught me that there is no such thing as giving up. You take what is and you deal with it. That was a big lesson. He has also taught me that being different is not just okay. It's a blessing. He uses his art, his passions, his, his amazing kindness to help other people. He's taught me how little things are, are powerful. One of my favorite pictures of him, is, was it was in the dead of winter, and I don't remember. Some company was running lines through our yard for something, you know, digging and burying cables. And Daniel went and made some hot chocolate and took it out. He was walking out with coffee cups full of hot chocolate to hand to the workers. You know, he's the one who thinks of other people when he could be down on himself. He gets down on himself. Sometimes I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but 99% of the time he's always thinking about other people and how can he make their life better. You know, which I think, considering how difficult his life has been to me, seemingly to me, I'm like, man, he's got a hard life. He doesn't see it that way. And so, his perspective, his kindness I mean, like I said, people that meet him are changed forever because he is one of those people that just uh, is so kind and caring and thoughtful. He teaches all of us. I'm telling you, if if we could get leaders in our country who had just an ounce of Daniel in them, the world would be totally different. And, And he is amazing.
1: Sometimes suffering leads to that level of compassion, right? Because he has had a hard life, so he knows what that means and what that looks like. And potentially doesn't want other people to have to suffer in the same way or in general. And so that might be a piece of that compassion that you're seeing coming from him.
0: Yeah, and he's, he's always been that way. Um, maybe not with his sisters, his sister. <laughs> she would probably argue if she heard this podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, which brings up a whole nother area. That would be a whole different podcast on siblings <laughs> and how siblings of special needs kids also grow up to be very special people. He's had a huge impact on her as well. So he really, really is a, is a hero. He really is.
1: Awesome. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our
0: audience? Yeah. You know, things are hard right now. I think for everybody, it doesn't matter if you have a kid with ADHD or you have ADHD or what, I mean, COVID is hard. I feel like COVID has taken away everyone's structure and has taken away everyone's ability to plan for the future. So in many ways, I think the world feels a little ADHD right now or feels what it's like, you know, to have ADHD. And so just like I look at Daniel and I think about what does he need right now, because it changes all the time, just like COVID does. You know, I just, I want to encourage families to, you know, we want to have accountability, we want our kids to be accountable, we want to hold ourselves accountable, but I think you also, all the time, but especially now, need to balance, you know, that accountability with grace, and that grace to be present to the needs right now, it doesn't mean it's going to be forever, but to really, you know, I worked with so many kids who struggled during our learning from home times, and parents who just really struggled because they wanted their kids to do their work and the kids just couldn't. We're in different times right now. And I think often we're trying to pretend like it's normal and that we're going to create a normal. And I don't think there's such a thing right now. And I honestly think that being able to go just go with the flow and really weigh that grace and accountability and always always keep in mind that there's nothing there's nothing out there that is worth costing the relationship whether it's in between parents whether it's between parents and kids or you know teachers and kids teachers need that same grace and accountability with their students i think we're just in the world right now where we really got to cut everyone a little slack and know that we may have to back off what's important, what we think is important, maybe what was important before COVID. Because right now we have bigger fish to fry than missing assignments. Kids will be fine. They can always learn stuff. But right now, their emotional learning, their emotional well-being is probably overrules everything else. And, And for parents as well because we can always pick back up and start learning again. That's not the end of the world. But we can't. It's much harder to pick back up, you know, emotional damage and our damage to our mental health and physically what that does to us then down the road physically. So balance the grace and the accountability and treasure and prioritize the relationship.
1: Hey. You're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendanadhdessentials.com. At and don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.